Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. This service, I love you guys, and I love your smiling faces. Again, as I mentioned, it's good to be here, and I hope you're excited to be here this morning. Um, just if you could pray for me tomorrow, just wanted to get the cat out of the bag. Tomorrow, uh, I, de- I made a decision, the fateful decision to go camping for a day, a day and a night. So I'm going to hike, I'm going to camp, and so um, most likely I will be back here next Sunday preaching, but we, you never know. So if you'd be praying for me, I actually had a conversation with my boys this week about me leaving, going out of town, going camping. I was actually told by uh, some of my buddies that it is the, one of the, the places that we're going is one of the most remote places in the contiguous United States. So there's no hotels, there's no golf, there's grizzly bears, right? Grizzly bears and nothingness. And so I was telling my, my boys this, so Quincy, uh, he, uh, he has a he has a funny mind, great mind, but he has funny questions. He's like, Dad, um, uh, what happens if you don't come back? And he's like, I was like, well, son, I'm going to come back. You know, come on, you, you, you can believe in me. And then he, he segues a little bit. He goes, well, Dad, what happens if you don't come back? Am I going to get a new daddy? I'm like, son, 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 stop it. So uh, if you could pray that I can come back, right? Because that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. Well, it's good. As I mentioned before, it's good to be back. And uh, I want to talk about church and mission uh, today. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 10. Just going to read just a few, few passages in uh, Matthew 9. And then we'll segue into Matthew chapter 10. And uh, we're, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about church and mission. Church and mission. What does it mean? Over the last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to be the church. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about what it means to be um, on mission as a church. And I don't know if, uh, about you, maybe, how many of you have grown up in the church? Okay, some of you have grown up in the church, some of you haven't grown up in the church. When it comes to mission talk, people get kind of fatigued. Like we talk about mission, being on mission, and some of you have had good experiences, maybe some of you have had bad experiences. Uh, some of us, we kind of uh, ascribe to the, the geographic myth when it comes to missions, meaning that you have to, the only way to be on mission is you got to cross the ocean, you got to go to an Amazon, Amazonian jungle, right? And you got to translate the Bible, you got to get a PhD in Greek, and you got to do things you never wanted to do, right? So people, we've caricatured, or people have, some people have caricatured what mission is all about. I kind of want to like demystify that um, a little bit today, more next week. But mission is all about um, participating in the inbreaking of God's kingdom in our world. Uh, mission is that, how many of you have been on a mission trip? Okay, so some of you have been on a mission trip. How many of you had a great experience? Okay, all of you raised your hand. That's great. Some of you didn't. Um, mission trips are great. I love missions trips. The problem went for me growing up, and I really struggled with this, missions trips meant I had to do two things that I wasn't good at. One, uh, I couldn't build stuff. And uh, usually mission trips are about building stuff. Uh, for example, I went to L.A. a long time ago in my early 20s, and uh, they gave me uh, a hammer and some nails, and they gave me two minutes of instruction on how to sheetrock a home. And so uh, with no experience, if, if you know anything about me, I kind of joke about this, but if you came over my house and you asked for tools, uh, you, I would give you a pink toolbox um, because it's my wife's. 
Uh, I just, I'm not a tool guy. I just not, a, I'm not a handyman. I've got that yeoman kind of like vibe or feel. That's just, my wife is like that. I have fixed a garage door. Can you give me a hand for that, please? <laughs> Did it? Uh, but I remember, man, going on this trip, and I'm like, oh, I just don't know how to build things. I had two minutes of, of, um, of instruction on sheetrocking, and um, I did that. I did that. I gritted my teeth for two days. I'm surprised that they let me do that. I'm sure the house is no longer, like, livable. Um, but that's what I thought of, of missions. Like, I got to go to missions, and, you know, I got to, like, work with my hands, and I'm not very good at that. Or I got to do drama, and I'm just not a drama guy. But I can't act. I can't do any of that stuff. And some of you, you love that. That's great. Please, that's amazing. But for me, I kind of, to be honest, I, I had mission fatigue because I just, again, I could stereotype mission as either crossing an ocean and some of you are called to do that and going to a, a tribe and translating the Bible or something like that or building homes in different countries or doing drama and all that kind of stuff. Well, it can include that, but mission is so much more than that, thankfully for me. And so I want to talk about uh, what it means to be on mission. Uh, if you uh, take a note, you can write this down. Mission simply means to be sent. It comes from a Latin word, missio, meaning to send someone. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about sending, being sent, being a sent people. God has called us. Uh, is sending us into our world to, to serve people, to love people, to take care of people, to be healers. And so we come to Matthew chapter 9, and these are like mission uh, text passages. And we get in verse 10, Matthew writes, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. How many of you like meals? Okay, you like food, you like meals. Uh, so I'm sure there was like a, a maple bar at this wonderful uh, table fellowship that Jesus was at. But he's sitting with tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is transforming here the social political fabric of his world. And he's challenging the purity codes, the symbolic purity codes uh, that shaped um, the people of God in the first century uh, for to have someone at the table that was either a tax collector or a sinner or an outsider was um, tantamount to being illegal. So Jesus is doing an illegal thing vis-a-vis uh, -vis the symbolic purity codes of his day, but he's reclining. Jesus is reclining uh, with tax collectors and sinners and Democrats and Republicans and racists and uh, people that are on the outside all sorts of people are coming to the table, and Jesus has his lazy boy. No, okay. Uh, he's reclining with Jesus, or he's, excuse me, reclining with his disciples. And then we come to verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And verse 12, when he heard this, he said, those who are well, here's the raison d'etre of Jesus's uh, mission, his purpose. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes a passage, kind of an obscure passage out of Hosea. I desire mercy. Everyone say mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Uh, we go through a couple healing stories. We come to the end of Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to begin in, in verse 35. 
Uh, Matthew tells us, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. How many of you believe that Jesus heals today? And healing every disease and every affliction. Um, is it okay at the end of the service? I feel like I need to pray for people who are sick. Just, I, I can't shake it uh, in worship today. I really felt like there's some people that are really sick and Jesus wants to heal them. So we're going to pray for that. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's a healer. We'll talk more about this at the end of my talk. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Literally in the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the Greek, it means your bowels are moved. Um, it's, it's a visceral experience, compassion that is. It's, it's to feel what someone else feels. So Jesus was moved with compassion for the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, which is an allusion to Ezekiel and his critique of the religious leaders. In verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out. Everyone say send out. Send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus shows us his strategy. We come to Matthew chapter 10, getting verse 1. I'm just going to read just a few verses. So Jesus, man, he doesn't go on like a branding campaign uh, or a slogan campaign. He doesn't really come up with uh, a strategy. I mean, he has a strategy, but what does he do? He empowers people. Verse 1, people means everything to Jesus in his kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is relational. In verse 1, he says, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 apostles are these for Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, uh, Bartholomew, right? Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And we're just going to kind of end here, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. Everyone say sent out. He sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of, the Samaritan, uh, town of the Samaritans, and then he continues to give them instructions about healing and announcing the kingdom of God. And everyone said amen. All right, bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray. Father, I thank you that um, you are here in this place. We just say yes to you, Holy Spirit, uh, this soon-to-be afternoon. Oh, we thank you. Can't believe it's almost fall. And we thank you that uh, this fall season is going to be an incredible time for your people in this city. And so we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for your loving presence. Challenge us today. Help us to see as you see. Help us to feel as you feel. Give us your heart for the people in this city. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So I want to talk about mission. Before I do that, uh, we have to understand uh, the why of mission. So my goal here today, I want to talk about the why, the reason of mission. I'm kind of a why guy. Like, I, I always ask questions. How many of you are like that? You ask questions a lot about stuff. Like, I'm not the guy, you, you come up to me and say, you got to do this. You give me instructions. I don't, like, thrive on that. I'm like, I'm like, why do you want me to do this, right? Some of you, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's just kind of how God has made us. Some of you, you just, you want a coach. You want a therapist. You want, you want someone to just give you the instructions because you're a doer. How many doers do we have? You just want to do it. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to try to figure out, like, what's behind it. You just want to do it. 
and you find fulfillment in that. I don't find fulfillment in doing. I mean, I sort of do. I find fulfillment in answering the question, why do you want me to do what you want to do? And so I want to talk about the why behind mission today. I want to talk about one big problem that we face as a church vis-a-vis mission. And then I want to just talk practically, this might be a little bit redundant, but how we can um, be missional or live out the mission of God uh, this fall. Are you, are you ready? So if we want to figure out mission, we got to figure out, okay, why, why do we have to be on mission? And remember, mission means to be sent. Uh, mission, as I mentioned before, comes from the Latin word missio, which means to be sent out. Why does Jesus send out his church? Well, uh, to be sent out is inextricably connected to the good news. Uh, Christianity is not a story about good advice. Uh, Jesus did not come, the kingdom of God did not break into our world, and Jesus did not offer nice sayings about how we can become the better version of ourselves. If you like that kind of rhetoric, that's fine. I'm not saying anything bad about advice, good or bad. Uh, I'm just simply saying Christianity primarily is not about good advice, it's about good news. Uh, Specifically, if you look at the word gospel, which is good news, the specific meaning of that, it's, it's news and about an objective fact. When we talk about good news, we talk about something objective. Uh, when we talk about the good news of Jesus, we're talking about something cosmic. When we talk about the good news of Jesus, we're talking about something happening to creation itself. Uh, in the words of one pastor, good news is a history-changing event. Uh, For example, there are many documents in in the Roman Greco world, uh, and they use the word gospel a lot. Again, gospel is good news. And we have this one particular document in the first century that read this. This is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, uh, who was ascended to the throne. So the gospel here, or the good news of Caesar Augustus, is a, is a declaration that Caesar has ascended to the throne. So good news functioned in the ancient world as a way of talking about a major historical changing event which affects everyone. Affects everyone. It'd be like uh, the Seattle Seahawks this year winning the Super Bowl, right? So if you're a Niner fan, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, You might not like it. You might complain. Um, You might get frustrated. You might be sad for a year. Uh, But you have to come uh, to the the conclusion that the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. It's a this-worldly historical event. This is how we need to see the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is about this world. Uh, Another way of describing this, how many runners do we have here today? Marathon runners, a few of you, I know Willow is. Uh, You probably know the history of the marathon. In AD 490, uh, you had the Battle of Marathon, and the Persians were conquering the world. Anyone like history? Few of you like history. The Persians were invading uh, and conquering the world. They came to Greece. So the Athenian army sent out this vast um, army uh, to the plains of Marathon to battle the Persians. Surprisingly, if you know your history, the Greeks 
won the war. However, back then they didn't have smartphones, right? They didn't have a way to communicate. It took a while to communicate to um, different places and different cities. So Athens was defenseless. Athens didn't know what happened at the Battle of Marathon. And there was always the potential of looting and um, panic, etc. So when the Greeks won the battle at the plains of Marathon, they had to announce the gospel or the good news to the city. So they sent one person, I'm not going to pronounce his name, and he ran for how long? 26 miles, maybe 23, but now the marathon's 26, whatever. He ran 23 miles uh, back to Athens, and he entered the city gates, and he said, rejoice. He's announcing the good news. We have triumphed, and then he died. And that's why I don't run the marathon. That's the only, yeah, it's the only reason, right? So this is what good news is about. Good news is not about, and we talk about this often, it's not about going to heaven to a disembodied place. It's not an otherworldly thing that just affects like maybe our emotions or our, what we might call our soul. No, the gospel is cosmic. Christianity is all about good news. It's not about good advice. It's not just about therapy. It's not just about how to become a better person. Uh, it's good news that God now is enthroned over the entire cosmos, um, it's, it's the reality that the state of affairs in creation um, are now different. The facts of the space-time universe have been altered because of the news that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he came back from the dead. Which specifically means the good news of Jesus is that Jesus is now king of the world. Uh, not, not circumstances, not cancer, um, not what you're going through, not the president, not a tyrant, not a, a despot, not, not your neighbor, not your boss, um, not, not circumstances uh, that are going on in your life. Um, Jesus is the one who is in charge of our lives, our bodies, our world, the United States of America. The scholars will call it this way. The good news of Jesus is a statement that our world is under new management, there's a new boss. How many of you want a new boss? That's a trick question. My staff better not raise their hand, right? I see you, Joel King. I'm coming after you after this, Joel King. The world is under new management, right? We have a new boss. We, uh, we, we have someone who is in charge. His name is Jesus. He is the king of love. You don't have to worry about a theocracy. Jesus will not force you to do anything. Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your mind. If you're depressed here today, uh, if you have problems in your mind or if you have fear, anxiety, or if there's sickness in your body, or you're trying to figure things out in life, if you want to figure out what it means to be genuinely human, if you want to know what your future is like, Jesus is the one who can give you the answer. Death has been defeated, right? We have the victory. Now, because of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we can enter the fullness of a genuine human life. Are you tracking with me this morning? We can enter the fullness of a genuine human life. And so if we drilled this into our heads and we really understood what this meant, we would probably have to right now stop the service and head out into the streets telling everyone to rejoice because Jesus has triumphed over death, over sickness, over sin, over evil, over inertia, over corruption, over meaninglessness, over a lack of significance. Jesus has won the victory over it all. This is the good news. It's about this world. 
Timothy Keller, he said this, to not take the news out to every creature would be the ultimate sign of wickedness because it would be the most radically unloving thing possible. It would be like finding the cure for cancer and saying, oh, no, 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 I'm just going to keep it with my homies, my friends, and my family. I'm not going to give or share these findings with the rest of the world. The good news of Jesus is that our world is fundamentally different. Jesus is in charge. If Jesus, we say this a lot, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So when we talk about good news, we're talking about, okay, Jesus, not in a theocratic way where he's micromanaging uh, the space-time universe and your life, right? Uh, we're talking about Jesus, who is the king of love, who is intimately involved in our life, and he's overseeing the project, the human project, uh, wherein we serve and we love and we give our lives to him. Jesus is in charge. And this is the source of being on mission. This is the reason. This is the, as the French say, the raison d'etre of our mission. We have good news. Now, good advice. We have the good news that Jesus is running the cosmos. So, we got a big problem, though. Jesus mentions this. Uh, we mentioned at the very end of Matthew uh, chapter 9, Jesus has been healing in this chapter. The kingdom of God has been breaking into uh, the human sphere, the human plane. Heaven is everywhere, breaking out everywhere. Uh, God is doing an extraordinary work. Bodies are being healed. Jesus is transforming food. We've talked about this a lot. Um, but Jesus then does a startling thing. He turns to his disciples and he says, guys, the problem with being on mission is not the harvest. The problem with being on mission is you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends out laborers. So here, let me, and I'll back up just a little bit. When it comes to mission, maybe mission fatigue or whatever, maybe we all, have, we all probably, I'm sure, have stereotypes of mission. Some of you have good experiences. Some of you not so good experience experiences. But I think when it comes to mission, if, man, if, if we're not careful, we, we think of it in wrong ways. Mission, the mission of God is about what he wants to do through us. The mission of God is what he wants to do through our embodied lives. But the problem when it comes to Mission, and this is what I used to think, and this was my big struggle. My big struggle when it came to like serving Jesus and being sent out and uh, maybe telling other people about Jesus or living a like mission shaped life. My struggle is I just assumed the whole world was indifferent. I, I used to think, like, you know, there, there are powers, economic forces that are confusing people. You had the news cycle, and so that's kind of getting into the hearts and the minds of the people, and people they don't want. Christ, like I've read so much research on where people are at when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to church. We're living in a post-Christian world, right? Uh, people, they want the love of Jesus. They call it tolerance, but they don't want Jesus to tell them what to do. And so, yeah, I, we're kind of living in Babylonian times. And yes, there's an antagonism directed towards the church and Christianity. And I used to think, 
just reading the research and in my own personal experience that the harvest was indifferent to God. And now I realize, no, no, the harvest is actually ripe and open to the good news of the inbreaking of the kingdom of Jesus. It's the people of God who are indifferent. Ouch. So the next five minutes, I'm going to talk about this. Just so you know, I'm not pointing any fingers. If anything, I'm, I'm talking to myself. And what we find is that Jesus is saying the issue is not that there are powers in our world that are stronger than the power of God. There's not economic forces that are greater. The Illuminati is not stronger than King Jesus. If they exist, Dre and Eminem and rap God status, whatever. Yeah, they might be shaping pop culture, Beyonce. Whatever you think about them, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. We just assume that there are bigger forces out there that are shaping the minds and the hearts of the people. I just disagree. I think God's in charge, and he's given us a, a, a beautiful responsibility to go into our world, to be sent out by God, and to live a life of mission. The problem, though, and get this from one missiologist, is that within the church, we have what he calls a class system in the church. So a class system is that we have, how do I say this? We've got pastors and clergy over here. And then we have all the, it's kind of fancy talk, we have the laity or the lay people over here. And they like to lay around. That's my, that's my one dad joke for today. Uh, we have this kind of split view of the church. you got those who are blessed, right, and those who aren't blessed. We have Mark Thornton in the back, and how many of you know Mark Thornton? We love him. Uh, he's amazing at what he does. I mean, he's just like, he's a machine, and uh, he oversees our Easter egg uh, hunt and, and our event. We have 40,000 people at the Easter egg hunt, and then he's over iHeart Treasure Valley, and then he's over God and Country, and then he's the chaplain at Boise State. I don't think he sleeps, He's kind of a demagogue. It's like, where do you get all your energy? It's pretty amazing what he does. And some of us, we're, we just assume, okay, Pastor Mark, he's the blessed one. He's the one that's on mission. And uh, I, I'll just come on Sunday, and I'll listen to a word, and I'll get my fix and worship, and then maybe have some fellowship time, and then I'll just kind of go through my week, do what I do, and then I'll come back and do it all over again. So we kind of play, the church kind of plays to this uh, class system. It's almost like a first class, second class. That's why I don't like planes. Can't get a high five and amen, right? I don't like being a coach. It'd be nice to be in first class all the time. Should we lobby for first class in every plane? Yes. Okay. No. But we here at Capital Church, if you're new, we have a high view of the church, which means this. All the people are sent. All the people of God are sent. All the people of God uh, are blessed. All the people of God are anointed. All the people of God have been chosen, have been called. All the people of God, irrespective of your background, irrespective of the color of your skin, irrespective of even your character initially, just so you know, Jesus always meets us where we're at, not where we're supposed to be. So all the people, not just some people in the kingdom of God, are called and chosen to be sent. So why? Why do we have a lot of spectators in the church? Why, why do we, 
stay on the sidelines? Why do we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, why, why do we have this theater mentality, right? We kind of show up at church and we just kind of, we watch all the people on the stage do their thing, right? And uh, we're worshiping and it's great. We have a great experience and the preacher gets up. He's spent 25 hours in preaching, right? And he gives the word and then we have fellowship time and then that's about what our Christian experience is. Why, why, why is that the case? Well, I think it's because, and please don't, please don't judge me. Uh, I think it's the case because we want it that way. I knew I wasn't going to get any amens on that one. I think we want it that way. Anthropologists, according to one missiologist, tells, tells us two main things about religion. Uh, number one, people create religious rituals to ceremonialize their devotion. Number two, people create a religious hierarchy. Check this out. I want you to focus on this to outsource their religious obligations. So our default, can, can we just be honest? This is, I, I'm being honest with myself. Uh, and I, I want to challenge all of us here today. I want us to feel this pressure. I think this is good to feel this and to be honest with ourselves. Our default, our bent is for ceremony and hierarchy rather than for ministry engagement and devotion. Why? Because it's just so stinking easy. It's easy to outsource our religious obligations. It's easy not to pray, not to spend time in our Bibles, not to engage God, um, not to worship uh, at work and to engage uh, people on mission. And it's easy to outsource that to religious professionals. Fortunately, the problem, I think, in the American church, it's not um, politics. It's not that the Satan is stronger uh, than God himself. The problem is we've clergified the church, meaning we just believe that it's up to the professionals to do all the work. I disagree with that. Uh, one scholar said this, unless we all participate in the mission of God and learn to be the church, we cannot be the church. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are, you all, right? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. I think we have verse 10. Do we have verse 10 up there? I think we do. Maybe not. We do. We do. We don't. We don't. We don't have it. All right. Um, anyways, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. This is spoken not to a select few or to some religious professionals or to the clergy or pastors. It's spoken to all of us. Jesus did not call, in Matthew chapter 9, at the end of this passage, did not call religious professionals. He called fishermen. He called tax collectors. Uh, he called po uh, politicians with violent political theory. He called uh, a motley crew together, and he healed them and their brokenness. He transformed them, and then he sent them out. 
This is the view of the church. We are called to be sent out by God. So how does this work, right? If we're all involved in this mission thing, how does this work out in our life? And there's a lot of different aspects that we could talk about. But this fall, I'm going to be really honest with you. I just want to talk about, I want to focus on just one thing. It's called hospitality. How we do mission. How do we live the good news? How do we get it into our own heart, the good news? How do do we give expression to it? Uh, We've been talking about um, fellowship. We've been talking about hospitality. But I think hospitality is something that has to shape our way of life, our modus vivendi as Christians in a world that is hostile. I don't know about you, I go on social media a lot, and it's just getting really hostile on these social media platforms. We're living in a very hostile political climate, and I just think we need more hospitality. Right? I think we need, we need, more, we need more just love, of the stranger, which is at the root of what hospitality means. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but hospitality is a compound word, which means the love of the stranger. And we come to Matthew chapter 9, and we read the passage, Jesus is reclining. He loves food. Uh, we call this table fellowship. He has a group of tax collectors and sinners, and he has his disciples, and they're all spending time together around a table. Let's just call, it's table fellowship is what we call it, Uh, but I also want to call it hospitality. This is Jesus's vision of what hospitality looks like in the kingdom of God. In fact, we have tax collectors, we have sinners, we have disciples, we have fishermen, we have um, politicians, we have all sorts of people around the table. We can make an argument that this is God's future world in microcosm or in miniature. Jesus is not just being nice and tolerant to everybody, and I think tolerance is good as long as we don't kill each other. Can I get an amen to that? But, but, man, tolerance can't save the world. The love of Jesus can save the world. And so Jesus welcomes all sorts of people around the table, and they're eating food, and they're talking about life, and they're talking about how much they love the cowboys, and they're just doing, they're doing life together. This would have been astonishing in this ancient Near East setting. Tax collectors and sinners don't mix with Orthodox Jews. The symbolic purity world of that day would not allow for it. So what Jesus technically is doing is illegal. The Pharisees, the thought police, their self-appointed thought police uh, felt like it was their job to keep everybody in tow, keep everybody in check. Jesus challenges their assumption of what it means to be the uh, people of God, what it means to be sent, what it means to be on mission. And Jesus does it around a table. Tim Chester, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission of Jesus. His method, though, was one meal at a time. Jesus was all about saving people, rescuing people, loving people, but he did that around a meal. Meals matter in the kingdom of Jesus. In fact, I mentioned this again a couple weeks ago. One author said Jesus is either, as you look at the New Testament, Jesus is going to a meal or at a meal or leaving from a meal. Jesus and his followers 
and the early church were known for their hospitality. Hospitality, as I mentioned, is a compound word which means the love of the stranger, the outsider, the one who doesn't look like you, the one who we would maybe call not blessed, the one that's been ostracized, the one that might be a misfit. Jesus has called us to be hospital, hospitable. In fact, the word hospital and hospice and hotel and hostel, I got this from John Mark Comer. He's a great source on this all comes from the same root word, hospitality. In fact, in the ancient world, and if you know this, there were no hospitals or hotels. You couldn't Airbnb anything, right? There was no uh, Hilton, right? There was no hotels, Motel 6, nothing. In the ancient world, you had Rome, and they invented two incredible things. They gave us the legal system, which we kind of practice to this day, and they also gave us roads. The problem with roads in the ancient world is that they were dangerous. You could just pack up your family and get in your car. Obviously, there weren't cars, but you could just get in whatever traveling thing that you had and go to Rome, right? Uh, you, would have to, you would have to make um, a lot of preparation and you would have to be prepared for the potential of dangers. It was Christians who were known for their hospitality that went to the roads and started building hospitals and hotels all because it goes all the way back to Jesus and his practice of the love of strangers. In fact, we know, if you don't know this, the first, we think, hospital was founded in 370 AD by a Christian named Basil. Uh, it was founded in Caesarea. Uh, it was the first hospital. And in the words of Basil, it was designed for the sick and the poor and the traveler. Hospitals were also hotels. Jesus' followers invented hospitals and hotels because they believed in hospitality. They believed Jesus meets us where we're at. They believed that no one lied outside the range of God's salvation and goodness. Even if they were an Oakland Raider fan, there was still a chance. Are you with me? This is what we should be known for. Please hear me out. What I'm not saying, and please don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying let's, I'm an advocate for tolerance. Tolerance, I think, is just, it's kind of a cheap parody on, on love. Love, it, it accepts, it welcomes, but it also transforms us. Tolerance can't change anything. Tolerance is about, okay, I can't change you, but I'll tolerate you. No, God is not saying I'm gonna tolerate you. God says I'm gonna welcome you and all your issues and all your baggage and then I'm gonna heal you. Just open up your heart. Just let me um, be your physician. Let me come in and transform your life right side up. So we should be known for hospitality. This is us, guys. We shouldn't be known. We're known for a lot of different things. Some people say, well, Christians, man, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Or Christians, they, they don't follow through. Or Christians, they're known for their hate. We shouldn't be known for any of that. We should be known for our practice of hospitality. In fact, your life should be one big hospital. We should be living, breathing, walking healers. In fact, Galen, a classical philosopher, uh, he was frustrated with the Christians. He said this about the Christians. They believe in the resurrection and they don't sleep around. And the reason, in his words, is because they believe in the dignity of the body. 
And because Christians believed in the dignity of, of the body and Galen didn't, Galen during the plagues fled Rome to his countryside where all the Christians then went into Rome in this urban setting that was plagued with sickness and they gave their lives healing the sick. And it was this practice of hospitality that changed the ancient world upside down. We're called to live around a table. We're called to welcome people into the kingdom of Jesus in our lives, through our gifts. Why not? Why not? I just, I think, I love this. Why, why not take our homes? take our homes and use them as outposts of God's kingdom. In fact, the monastic movement, the very beginning, roughly for a thousand years, were places where people could come and get healed, places of rest. There were hospitals. There were places of cultural and spiritual formation, but there were outposts that furthered the kingdom of God through their practice of loving people. That's my dream for this church. This is what I want us to practice. I want this to be our focus this fall. Are you with me this morning? So what if we saw our homes, our gifts, our lives as outposts where people come in contact with the living God? I want to, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. I want to be a healer. I want Jesus to, to work through my life so that he can heal people. My, in, in a moment of honesty, I, the last few weeks, God has really been working on my heart. I think I have a good heart, but there's a depth I think that God's bringing to me, and I think there's a depth that God's bringing to our church when it comes to loving people. God has called us first not to be successful, God's called us first not to make money. God's first not called us to have status and achievement. There's nothing wrong with that. Our first mandate is to love the stranger, to participate with God's kingdom in loving the outsider. The Republican, man, Republicans need help. The Democrats, man, they need help. Come on. The racists, they need help. Man, all these political groups, you go through the spectrum of our human experience in the Western world, we all need help outside of Jesus. And Jesus invites his disciples. He says, I don't want you to pray for the harvest. They're ready. I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send you out. And this fall, I want us to focus on, for some of you, turning your home. We talked about this a couple, couple weeks ago. But how about you turn your home into a hospital where you just invite people over? And some of you are like, well, what do I talk about if I invite like my neighbor over to my house? Well, just be, be you. Like, don't get weird. Don't have a Bible laid out. Don't have scriptures all over the wall. Right, don't come with your best apologetic defense. Don't, please, God, don't put on Christian TV, okay? 
If you like that, that's fine. I'm, not judging. I'm just saying, just be you. Just invite people over to your house and just have a conversation. Talk about football, because we all know everybody loves football, right? Or talk about what interests you and see what God can do. Maybe, and we talked about this, maybe some of you, you don't have a home that you want people to come over because you're just not clean, okay? How about you throw a block party, right? You live in a neighborhood. Like, throw a block party, throw a parade, get creative, be inventive. Do something fun. Come on, I think Christians should be known for their fun. Do something fun for your block or your neighborhood or your neighbors. Some of you, how many love to bake, right? You have a Martha Stewart vibe, you just... Man, you love interior design, whatever. Man, bake stuff and then just go to your neighbor, knock on their door, invite yourself into their house, give them the food and be hospital or hosp- be hospitable in their home. Our lives, we should be known for living a life of love. That's what we should be known for. This is the practice that I want us to embrace. So this week, what's our, what's our task? What's our responsibility? I, it's just pretty simple. I want you to be or practice hospitality. Find someone. I mean, maybe it's at work. Invite them to your house. Maybe bring a coffee to somebody. Maybe you just, again, you love to bake. Bring some good cookies. Not bad cookies because that's bad, right? Bring some good cookies. Take it to your work. Bless people. It's just bless This is how we can be on mission. This is how we can transform our post-Christian world. This is how we disarm all the nasty stereotypes of Christians. So when we practice loving people around the table, or we just kind of bring the table out to the world, and we just love them. Amen? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.